I'm Blake Hargreaves. Welcome to Future Stops. You're hearing a recording of a recent performance by John Camille Farah, one of three guests today on another edition of our series Organ Plus, where we profile artists and performers expanding existing contexts for the organ and creating new ones. Today we'll speak with a composer whose work takes the organ through multiple time periods and cultural histories, and another who built a pipe organ unlike anything we've ever seen. But first, Thomas Milan is a composer and the newly minted organist at St. Cecilia's Church in Boston, Massachusetts. His latest project breaks the mold of what we expect from a congregational player and connects back to his love of the electric guitar. I started playing organ pretty late when I was 12, and I started composing when I was 10 or 11. But before that, I played electric guitar. And uh, if you'd asked me when I was 10 or 11 what I wanted to be, I probably would have wanted to be Steve Vai or Eddie Van Halen. And I discovered the organ when I heard Louis Vian play some Bach uh, in an old recording from the 30s, and thought it was the most metal thing I'd ever heard. And I decided to play organ. Well, I started playing classical guitar so I could play the Bach violin sonatas. And I got a good way through the first one. I could play that one from memory. I didn't get to the, to the other five violin pieces because I realized the organ would be a better way of playing Bach and started playing organ and piano at the same time a really amazing teacher named um, dana reason who's a free jazz improviser and composer who kind of told me at the time you're gonna love modern music and kind of laughed at that but a year later i was getting into atonal music and really starting to to compose more and i started really getting into um Guillaume's organ music and the orchestral music of Boulez and Stockhausen and Zanakis. And those those four composers are the reason that I decided to pursue music, you know, actually as a, as a profession and more than just a, a hobby, as, as a lifestyle, if you will. And so I dug as deep and as fast as I could to really immerse myself in what the instrument can do and its history and the people who've written for it and, and basically what it's lived are and um early on uh, kind of approaching it as a composer first i was struck by how little has really been done since its invention to push its 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 limits and its limits of organ technique but also the limits of organ sonority and basically you know the the limits of playing the organ as a as a performer milan has a unique ability to see beyond genre making connections between wildly divergent musical approaches, and his drive to push the limits of organ technique is informed by his latest obsession, the Swedish extreme metal band Meshuga. I, I, I feel like um, I'm trying to be a keystone between different worlds, because I feel like if you hear some sagas of Jean Guillou, or if you hear um, some orchestra pieces by Zanakis, or... Even some orchestra pieces by Schoenberg and, and especially Stravinsky and all that. Um, and and even the way that Webern uh, approaches atonal writing, both pre and post serial, really, really very uh, academic classical music like that um, ends up on the page looking a lot like some things that a, an extreme tech metal band like Meshuggah would end up playing. 
especially with how Meshuggah deals with rhythm, you could really analyze it in the same way that you analyze some neoclassical Stravinsky. Um, and li- likewise, when you hear Meshuggah, it, it, it's so, they're, they're so close. And I, I would love to be that, that keystone that, that, that connects those styles. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion of, you know, I, I went to a school at USC as a composer that where, where, genre was a big way of of teaching music and that to me it felt so divisive to kind of genres outdated it feels like because when you keep putting boxes around things the boxes get smaller and smaller and smaller it's kind of like a fibonacci sequence going down the numbers just get smaller and smaller and smaller and they get more and more irrelevant and the golden mean like gets less and less obvious it feels that way with genre right now and so what i'm trying to do is kind of blow that all up at least you know privately in my music it's not like i'm going out and giving speeches about this but you know on on, with my little pencil and paper try and and see what i can do to combine these styles and so my organ music's gotten much more aggressive and and harder to play in a in a more rhythmic way and uh, of course chopin and all these other influences come in there but yeah definitely electric guitar big part of how i think about music and a big part of how I see the organ as well. Well, it has the similarity of where all the uh, all the notes and scale, everything's sort of displayed the way it is on a keyboard, on a fretboard, it's very similar. For me, the two biggest similarities between electric guitar and the organ is that they both, they're the two, the only two instruments that I can think of off the top of my mind that don't use the player's physical energy to create sound. Um, and so that then, you know, you if, if you, if you, uh, you know what I mean? Like the, the the sound of an electric guitar is dictated by pickups, the amps, the the pedals, all that. In the same way that an organ console works, where if you you hit the organ key harder or softer, it doesn't really do much. Um, so there's a big similarity there, and uh, harpsichord is also a big part of. You know, I I love playing harpsichord. My last job in L.A. was as a harpsichord technician, which was more of a of a way that I could practice harpsichord, but um, and the harpsichord is just a big giant guitar laid flat with a keyboard. And so there's a big link between keyboard music and, and lute slash guitar music that's always interesting. So, Having broken down the barriers between these various instruments in his study, Milan found himself in a quest to expand what is technically possible on the organ, leading him to the famous three sets of piano etudes by the Polish composer Chopin, written in the 1930s. These etudes, or study pieces, are considered a breakthrough in what was possible on the piano and serve to feed Milan's obsession with expanding his organ technique. The etudes, I have a funny relationship with that whole idea because in retrospect, it's very much, um, you know, it, it comes from a feeling of never being enough. You know, I, I want to, I always want to, 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 it's kind of an ego trip, you know, where you're like, I, I need to be more, I need to be better, I'm never... It's it's at the same time an ego trip and also a, a total lack of self-confidence of I, I, I won't be good until I played that piece, you know, and until I played this tempo. And so is it healthy? No, definitely have work to do. But it's it's also it's also uh, when it comes to anxiety and stage fright and stuff, there's a certain control and uh, safety that you have when you've been playing. I don't know, the Opus 10 number one of Chopin, those arpeggios and tenths, that there's really no other piece like it. Um, and no other piece that uses that technique in such a 
you know, in your face, we're going to do that and only that for two minutes kind of way. And to, to go through that and to really obsess over it and to really make sure that, you know, my fourth finger is, is really transferring the weight over to my fifth and that my wrist is this and that. And can I do it in all these weird ways that Chopin has it up and down the keyboard? Um, and then can I bring it to the organ and make it musical and interesting where I apply, you know, you can't really swing your wrist around in the same way that you do on the piano on the organ because the keys are so much more sensitive and there's so much, the organs so much more about release than it is about attack and getting your articulation and the time between the notes. So um, there is definitely an obsessive, an obsessive quality to this and a, a sort of, I, I won't be happy until factor that, that kicks in, but um, at least as it applies to Chopin etudes, I feel like that's kind of a good thing because it's helped me, um, achieve things that I wanted to achieve. So, and so, do you consider your adaptations to be uh, etudes in in the traditional sense of study material for organ students or a performance work? Ideally, yeah, sure. I mean, I think I, I I think it's I think it's very helpful to to play those, and and if people played my adaptations, I'd be I'd be thrilled. Um, but I I wouldn't put it on anyone to do this this this. You know, as far as the organ world goes, what I've done with those is is very weird. It, it'd be it'd be even weirder to not acknowledge how weird it is uh, <laughs> to spend a year playing this ridiculous piano music that has pedal markings and arpeggios that go way off the span of the keyboard um, on the organ. It's it's very strange, but yes, uh, Cameron Carpenter, who's a very good friend of mine, Cameron did say that for him the key to getting really great keyboard technique is to play Bach and Chopin. And I think that applies as an organist. And in fact, if you open the Dupre treatise on improvisation, the first few paragraphs are put this book down. If you haven't played all the etudes of Chopin and list, and he doesn't say on the organ, but personally I found that playing them on the organ has been really fun and really helpful.
That was Thomas Milan performing Etude in F Major, Opus 10, Number 8, by Frédéric Chopin. Now we turn to a performer from Japan who supports his own voice in performances with a pipe organ that has no keyboard, which he built and designed himself. Fujita joins us with the help of an interpreter. I started my musical experience singing with a guitar, and, you know, my voice was also in a way an instrument, too, in the music. I used to do more popular music, but there was a point where I started to be interested in doing more classical music and having more contemporary expressions. And throughout that change, I always envisioned this scene of myself, singing with a guitar with an organ in the background. Okay, um, what first attracted you to the pipe organ? As for the organ, I was fine with not being able to really produce sound initially, but I decided to play with the organ. You know, I was able to produce different sounds on the organ, and I was very happy about that. But no, I did not study the organ professionally. I don't have any professional knowledge of the instrument. However, throughout me singing and playing with the organ itself, I was able to be more interested and, and a little more experienced. How did that lead to the self-made organs that you make now? That's a difficult question to answer, but what I can say is that I'm totally interested in instruments that use air. And I'm totally interested in music that uses a lot of airflow. For instance, not just an organ or a voice, but other instruments that require airflow, like a bagpipe or something like that. So I think subconsciously I might be drawn to these types of instruments, and I choose to play them. The way it works is the same as a regular organ in the sense that there is a place for the air entry and there is a bag that accumulates that air and pushes it into the pipes that produce sound. And there are 11 pipes that make different sounds all working the same way. And um, why and how do you incorporate your voice into the music with this organ? My voice has always been an instrument that is at the core of my music. So ever since I started working with the organ and started doing music with it, I sort of experimented with what kind of voice matches best with the sound of an organ. So maybe there is not necessarily a particular reason why I started incorporating voice into the organ sound. However, it's just been that way since the beginning in terms of me doing music with instrumental sounds and the voice. And when I started playing the organ, I started to experiment with different ways of singing than I was singing with other instruments. I've started experimenting with throat singing and other voice techniques. I guess, uh, I guess in a church context, of course, it's very common, and the organ was invented to support singing voices in church. However, it's rarer with the contemporary artists playing organ, and it's interesting because the organ itself is air being pushed through pipes, which is the same th way that the voice works. And I wondered, does it feel 
different to perform inside a church than it does to perform inside a different non-religious space. It was very different and a very interesting experience that I get to play、uh, an organ in a church environment for the first time in Europe. I myself am not a religious person, and I did not grow up in a religious background. So to be able to play an organ in an environment where a religion has thousands of years of rich history was something very different to me as a performer. And myself, I had a very difficult time trying to get the feel of the place and and to perform there. However, it was also an eye-opening experience, and one that had a very different feel to it. It's very difficult to articulate with words how different it was, but long story short, it was a very unique experience playing an organ in a religious setting like a church, versus playing it in a non-religious environment. It was also a very good opportunity for me to learn that the organ and my voice. Really fits into that acoustic and the overall ambience of a church setting, and I learned a lot from that. When you make music, is there a spiritual component for you? I do hear a lot from my listeners who say there is a very spiritual component to the music I perform, but I personally do not necessarily intend it to be a very spiritual thing or or anything like that. We use the term effect quite a lot here, but I guess it's one of the effects the music has. I feel that I am more interested in reality-based context, in a sense, like the airflow of the instrument, the sound it produces, the effect it has on nature, that type of thing. So I guess there is a spiritual component, but it's not necessarily intended to be there. I guess it can just be interpreted that way.
You're listening to the Future Stops podcast, an initiative of the Royal Canadian College of Organists. My name is Blake Hargreaves, and I'm your host as we explore the world of the 21st century organ. We just heard an excerpt of Air Movement by Fujita, recorded live at the Rewire Festival in 2021. Our last guest today is Jean-Camille Ferrat, an artist who blends different keyboard instruments, genres, eras, and cultures within live musical experiences, offering challenges and insights into the spaces where they take place. Uh, When I have to sum up my music, it's very difficult to kind of describe it, but I tried to come up with a very quick way, uh, which is I call it Baroque Middle Eastern Cyberpunk, uh, because it kind of integrates elements uh like my love of early music um uh baroque music counterpoint and of course you know being a composer all the contemporary techniques we've had in the last century um and also electronic music anything from electronic dance music to drum and bass to ambient music um and also middle eastern music i come from a palestinian family so Uh, I grew up with Arabic classical music and folk music and and Arabic pop music around the house. So it's kind of part of part of me, my musical world. Uh, And also I I love uh, improvisation. So I kind of taught myself how to improvise through a mixture of of getting into actual sort of straight ahead jazz when I was younger uh, and also free improvisation, which I kind of derived from all of the contemporary music that I was learning. So I would kind of derive my improvisational techniques from like Stockhausen, Schoenberg, you know, second Viennese school, and just all the other types of music that I was kind of uh, digesting, you know, in my younger years. So I came up with my own kind of approach to improvisation. And I guess I integrate them all in my performances. So when, when you, you know, when you attend one of my concerts or hear one of my recordings or something, I kind of think of them as these kind of giant sprawling canvases that could move, like move from between like a fugal episode um, to some blistering, you know, uh, drum and bass thing with, with playing atonal chords on the piano. Uh, and then that could sort of turn into some sort of minimalistic texture and then go into a Middle Eastern uh, rhythm and use a different tuning system and things like that. So I, I kind of just draw them all together and integrate them together in different ways. What about your background? How did your background, would you say, looking back, led you to the pipe organ? Um, I guess since I was obsessed with Bach, since my, you know, that was the whole reason I got into music, I feel that that kind of primes you for, you know, gives you a disposition towards organ music. Um, And I always wanted to be an organist, but I, all my other interests kind of distracted me. I wish, you know, at this point in my life, just like, you know, wishing you had learned another language that I had really taken that more seriously. Um, But I guess it was a combination of just the, the music of Bach itself and also hearing Switched on Bach uh, by Wendy Carlos at a really early age that made me very like, it gave me a love of synthesizers. And I always look at the organ as the original um, archaic synthesizer. And so I, I see it as a way to combine and you know get different sounds and combine them together with the different synthesizers that I use. So I've sort of come back to the organ. I mean, I would always play the organ. I would always improvise it or try to play, you know, Kunst der Fuge or something like that. Um, on it. But now I've 
come to a way of integrating that with piano, organ, and various synthesizers and sort of looping pedals and things like that uh, in my live concerts. How has not having had a formal training on the organ uh, influenced your approach to the instrument, would you say? It's influenced me in two different ways. Uh, One is like socially, I guess, towards other organists, like, or even towards my audience. Um, because I have a passion for it, but I'm also really, I'm really aware and I I want to make a point that I don't present myself as an organist. And so I I just want to make, because it's, I think it's got something to do with an awe or respect for the canon of, of just organ music in general. Um, and I don't want to be the, the fact that I'm doing this to be sort of trying to pass myself off as a quote unquote, like real organist, no matter how much I love it. It's an interesting thing because of course I wish that I had more foot pedal technique. Of course, that's the the main thing that I, that I miss. However, if I really think about it now, if I had had that training and I had become like a proper, like a real organist again, I don't know if I would be making the music that I'm making now, which I am glad that I am making. So I'm not sure how things would have would have turned out. I might have just because the the the, um, the repertoire for organ is just so incredible, and you could just spend your whole obviously spend many lifetimes just just focusing on that. Um, I would say I would describe it like you know how a person who doesn't really type on a typewriter, they type with two, their two index fingers, right? So I would say it's like a caveman. I'm like a caveman playing the organ. So your music combines the pipe organ with piano and synthesizer. Uh, how do you, how do these instruments complement each other and how do they contrast? I think that it's, it, it's a question of, uh, integrating different eras of music. So, of course, obviously the organ is a contemporary instrument. There's a lot of contemporary music for organ. But let's say the, you know, the base of it is in contrapuntal, early music, uh, or, or the most immediate thing we think of is Bach, or the average person would think of. So there's, there's that historical connotation with the organ. Uh, and then when one thinks of synthesizers, one thinks of contemporary music or uh, things that in the last 50 years at least – so putting both of those together, of course, even even before you've even started making music, is already combining different uh, epochs. Um, and I like to play with that. So I love to have, let's say, there be uh, contrapuntal lines that would be coming from the synthesizers or in the middle of a piece, if you're playing, uh, have having lines playing a, a certain melodic line on the organ and then playing it at the same time with a synthesizer, and then combining different stops and different sounds uh, sets on the synthesizer or uh, changing the sounds as I go so they morph. Of course, it happens in a more like terraced way with the organ, uh, whereas you can s- morph things more slowly and gradually on a synthesizer. But I, I love that interplay of, of taking... Um, I would just make a uh, maybe a very basic example. Let's say you play a, just a two two voice counterpoint uh, on on two manuals of the organ, and then playing them on two uh, two different synthesizers uh, right after that. You're immediately making a it's making a sound a statement in and of itself just to hear it change 
context so in such a clear way. So sometimes I also even loop the organ. Um, so I also set up some microphones, uh, a couple, just a stereo pair before I play each concert. Uh, I will do that, and then I will play certain lines on on the organ, and then loop them through the computer. Or I will even do it uh, in real time. I'll actually just play something and then be filtering it through effects and delays and various um, uh, types of distortion and things like that to actually. So it's actually you're you're distorting the sound of the organ in real time. And so that the audience gets a feeling of that it's not just these separate instruments that they're hearing. They're actually hearing the organ sort of from from its source. So they're hearing the direct sound from the pipes. And then they're also hearing this filtered kind of after effect of the organ of these strange effects coming from it that are making it kind of bleed into this the world of synthesizers and electronics. So that's kind of like almost the artist smudging the, you know, the charcoal on the page uh, to make things not so separated. You incorporate Middle Eastern music, rhythms, uh, um, style, phrasing into your music, um, and you play it on the pipe organ, which is a very Western uh, instrument. And um, how, how, what, what, what do you feel like that generates? Making Middle Eastern music or Arabic music and Western music live together is a very kind of tricky it's a delicate thing because I often I'm not so crazy about it when I hear it and I try to I approach it in my, like a really idiosyncratic way. Um, and I, I kind of don't look at it as just sort of mixing East and West together or something. I try to, that's a bit of a cliche in my mind. Um, but it, believe it or not, it actually more stems from this in, deep interest that I have in ancient history Let's say if you're playing the music of William Byrd, okay, so this is the mid-1500s, I guess, um, that is really only a couple of centuries after the last Crusades. So it wasn't such ancient history. It was a little bit more relevant. So therefore, I, I look at that. If I'm playing early music, I am much more liberal with my ornamentation, uh, and I can even integrate a Middle Eastern sense of ornamentation into my playing of William Byrd, I have something which I call, uh, which I don't do it as much on the organ, but more on the piano, but I do sometimes, which is, I call it the atonal makam, which uh, the makam means a scale or a mode in Middle Eastern music, but uh, it's a very, it's basically having a, some sort of a drone, and, and the drone could be even a, a, an aggregate, you know, uh, you know, a group of notes that I'm just cycling through in my left hand, which doesn't even matter. Those notes could be chosen randomly over a drone in the bass pedal. And, and I sort of slowly un uncover with my right hand uh, a, an asymmetrical scale that will cover over several octaves. And it sort of reveals itself going up to the uh, the, the, the top of the, the you know higher registers uh, in a, almost like a staircase made of uneven steps, um, non-repeating. And that's another way, and through that mixed with ornamentation, you're sort of integrating a Middle Eastern sensibility mixed with quasi either Middle Eastern slash Western or like Baroque ornamentation 
played in a somewhat atonal context. So it's <laughs> there's ways that I have there, there's infinite ways that you can sort of break these elements down and then reintegrate them together. If that makes any sense. That was an excerpt of John Camille Farah's Slithering Descent, recorded live at Berlin's Taberkirche in December. We'd like to thank Thomas Mellon, Fujita Yosuke, and John Camille Farah for joining us today. Each in their own way expands the limits of what we expect from the organ, and that's what we're all about here at Future Stops. Whether it's moving the standard technique into extended technique, the standard genre vocabulary into an extended one, or just inventing a whole new type of organ to play a whole new type of music. Each of these creators offers possibilities which help grow the potential of the instrument. When taken out of its context, we're sometimes better able to enjoy what is fundamental about the instrument and the way it moves air, creates sound, and resonates with us. We'd love it if you would join us too on social media at Future Stops and Future Stops Podcast, where you can bring your voice to the conversation. Future Stops is a podcast from the Royal Canadian College of Organists, produced by Andrew O'Connor, with Haley Raymond as community manager and executive producer Elizabeth Shannon. I'm your host, Blake Hargreaves.